We're talking about a passion today. It's new. We're going to explore some feelings and talk a lot about food, kind of. I can't wait. And also our new best friends. Our new best friends. Let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff. With real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says Authenticity Guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. Today, we'll talk about the latest with Megan and Harry. We will. Uh, Matt Damon also listed his house. We're a little late to that, or at least I am, but we need to discuss it. And we mostly wanted to talk about a new shared passion of ours, which is the Table Manners with Jesse Ware podcast, um, which let's just jump into it. I mean, Amanda, how much do you love Jesse Ware and her mom? I just want to say that Juliet told me about this two months ago, <laughs> maybe three, honestly, and I slept it on December. it. It was about two and, months ago. Okay. It was two months ago. And Juliet recommended a podcast called Table Manners with Jesse Ware to me. And she, and she specifically recommended an episode featuring Mark Ronson, knowing my interests. And she said, I think you'll really like this. And I said, oh, thank you so much. And then I did nothing about it. And that's on me. <laughs> you know what? That's what happens when you don't listen to trusted friends who know you and know what you'll like. Because I, I would, what, a week ago, maybe, Juliet? I was yeah. finally like, I need to... Um, I need something new in my life. It's still in LA. It's like pretty strict lockdown here. And so I go on walks by myself. That's like my Amanda time. And I was like, I need something to jazz this up. And I started listening to Table Manners with Jessie Ware, which also features her mother, Lenny. And it's a podcast that the premise of the podcast, it's Jessie Ware, her mom, Lenny, they both love to cook. Um, and by Everything I've heard on the podcast seems to be excellent cooks. Unfortunately, I personally have not yet been able to taste the food. My number one bucket list goal at this point. That would also entail like being famous enough to be on the podcast, which is not really a goal of mine, but whatever. So they they cook a meal and they have uh, a, a guest, usually a famous person on, and they serve the meal and talk about the famous person and also food. And the f- it's like a celebrity interview through the lens of, of food. And cooking. And I am straight up obsessed. These are my new best <laughs> friends. These are the only people I want to talk to. I know. They're, they're really, really wonderful. There's a, there's a few reasons why this podcast works so well. 
um, which we actually haven't really talked about. We've just sort of talked about like the content of the show. Mm -hmm. So we'll do both. Um, Are you a fan of Jesse Ware's music at all? I am, though I have spent more time listening to this podcast than her new album, which I feel a little bit guilty about. Mm -hmm. And I am like reaching the level of fandom where I'm like, oh, I need to support all her projects. (laughs) I don't have children, but I'm like, should I buy some of her gender neutral, like one size fits all baby clothes line that she launched two years ago? Like probably, Um, you know? Yeah, it's sort of funny. Like I didn't realize that basically Jessie Ware was in the lifestyle space. Um, but she is, they also have a table manners book, which cookbook, which mm-hmm. I, I think I'm probably gonna have to buy. I don't know about you. I, can, could, could you just like hold off on okay. buying it? Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much. Sure. Just, it might, it might show up in your life in different ways, <laughs> but I, I don't know who can say. Um, it, it's just like, there's a, re- a few great things about this podcast. Um, let's start with the guests. Cause I think that's mm-hmm. sort of like for both of us has kind of been like the gateway drug has been like, Oh, I really like this interview. And then it kind of opens up this whole world. So did you start with Mark Ronson? I did. And, um, just kind of a side note, this is probably the one podcast most affected by COVID. Like we, like I, the rare podcasts I think have largely been unaffected, which I'm pr- very proud of us and our colleagues. Yes. This primarily show- Juliet though. Cause she had a lot to do with the logistics of all that, which is really you. hard. Anyway, this is, this is a celebrating Juliet <laughs> podcast and also Jesse. Ware. Um, but so she, um, you know, they go to her mom's house, like the podcast in its best form is done at either her or her mom's house. I think it's better when it's at her mom's. I don't really know mm-hmm. why, but it just seems like when they're in Lenny's home, it really just like the symphony erupts. And I was listening to John Legend, who I really like in a totally unironic way. And John Legend is like at his computer sitting there with like some chicken dumplings that he and Chrissy Teigen made the night before. And, and Jesse and her mom, Lenny are at their own computers. And when they do it over zoom, it's like just significantly less fun. Um, how do you feel about the, the clattering of, of food and dishes that comes on when they're actually eating? I love it. Uh, and and part of it is that I am listening to it in lockdown and have not been like out to dinner with anyone. Well, literally with anyone. I haven't been out to dinner in like a year at this point, I would say. Uh, I have only eaten with my husband, uh, who's lovely. And uh, like every night now I sit down, I'm like, so here's what I learned from Jesse and Lenny today. And he's like, I don't care very nicely. But so it just, it's a convivial energy, right? That adds to that. You do feel a little bit like you're there. And sometimes the conversation does start, stop for someone to be like, oh, I need to try this or, oh, this is delicious. Um, and it's like, it's a sense of place. I actually think the production choices are like subtly very smart. Yeah. I'm also someone who doesn't love overproduced anything. Yeah. No, I mean, I think if you listen to a ringer podcast, you get yeah. that as well. We generally yes. feel that way, yeah. um, but it, it's atmospheric in like a cool way. So then when Mark Ronson comes in, mm-hmm. you can really just feel the Mark Ronson ooze. And in this particular episode, that ooze smelled like alcohol because he was yeah. massively hungover and it's such a vibe. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you learn it's like best case scenario for an interview show. You learn so much about Mark Ronson, not just from what he says, but like how he's saying it and how he receives the questions that they, they throw at him. Um, and it was like, it was riveting. It is. And the, the Mark Ronson one in particular, he says himself on the podcast that he's hungover and you can, you know, hear it a bit. He has kind of a laid back energy and cadence to him generally, but I he's definitely he was speaking softly. Kind of, he was like, I don't know, just sort of like demurring in a way that I don't think Mark Ronson actually does. 
I I do think he does like a little bit, but I do also think he was hungover. <laughs> he is also in the he's promoting his new album, but he is like that album was a breakup album and he's like post-divorce and he does speak a little bit like about his divorce. And at one point he's just in like pretty oblique ways, mostly. Yeah, but at one point he's talking about the beautiful Los Angeles home that was featured in Architectural Digest and that I enthused over um, and that was then sold uh, very quickly. Went for a good price, I think. Um, Far more money than I have. But he's like, yeah, I bought it to have a family and then I got divorced. So now like seven transient people, like people that he knows, but strangers just like come and go and seven people live in my house right now. And you're just kind of like, wow, the divorce hungover energy is very real right now, which I don't say in a judgment way. I'm just like, you don't normally get that from any sort of interview where someone is kind of that open and also where you, um, it's just very revealing. Yeah. And I think that's a little bit about the food, which I want to talk more about, but I do also think it's the structure of, because you have Jesse and her mom, Lenny, who are like an established entity, have a great hilarious relationship. They're both very funny. They're both very chatty. They are like the, all the British press seem to like make a lot of their bickering. And I guess they kind of needle each other, but like, honestly, they just seem to love each other very much. And it's not really, it's not like really, yeah, exactly. It's banter. And, but there's like a, just a, like a known established quantity and energy that everyone who comes in is kind of like responding to and trying to find a way to like fit in this space. And so how someone adapts to it is really fascinating and, and says a lot about the person. Also, it seems like at this point, a lot of their guests and actually not even at this point, cause Mark Ronson was, I think two or three years ago. Um, I think it was two years ago. Um, Mark Ronson is like aware of their podcast and a lot of their celebrities who come in reference other episodes and they kind of have like the Mark Marin effect of like celebrities mm-hmm. tune in. And yes. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, hearing, hearing the different, like people, what they pick up on from previous interviews. And my first episode was Heim in which they made matzo ball soup and matzo which is a recurring soup, theme. Yes. Matzo ball soup is like one of the staples of Lenny's, um, cooking and then of the show itself. And so hearing like the various people talk about like if they got matzo ball soup or not and what the other people they know got is, or like what they got to eat is really fun. It's like, you're kind of like being invited into this like clubhouse of which Jesse Ware and her mom's homes are like the two headquarters basically. Yes. They do also primarily have British or kind of British centric guests. And so, and it's interesting as the, I believe the podcast is in, it's like 11th season though. That's like, you know, podcast seasons are sort of arbitrary and they do what, like eight to 10 episodes a season. It seems like, So, but you know, they have like a hundred episodes probably or close to it at this point. And as it grows, you know, Elizabeth Olsen was a recent episode that I think you and I would like to talk about at great length. Obviously the Heim sisters, um, grew up in the U S but there also are a lot of like both celebrities that are definitely more famous in the UK than, than elsewhere, which is cool. And like, you know, they had, they had like the mayor of London on the podcast, which is amazing. Really cool. Really cool. And then uh, we'll come back to you know, Tom Ottolenghi, but he's kind of like the patron saint of the pod. He was on yes. it as well. But like some of their other really big guests include like Kat Dealey, Don French, um, Kylie Minogue, like James Bay. Like those people are all really famous in the UK and and less so here, though, of course, 
Kylie Minogue, I think, is a disco icon everywhere. But yes. she's really, really much more famous in the UK than she is here. And yeah, so it is sort of like a staple on like the kind of the PR chat tour of of London versus the US, which is why some of the American guests are so fascinating because it's like kind of like the dream of like the US meets UK culture collision that I think we we both really enjoy. Should we talk about Elizabeth Olsen? Yeah, that's a good uh, way to talk about the the Britishness and the Americanness <laughs> because Elizabeth Olsen, um, I believe it was taped in December of 2020 and it was mm-hmm. before the UK went into their most recent lockdown. And Elizabeth Olsen was apparently a huge fan of the podcast. And as she was going on her promo tour for WandaVision, just like told her team, like, get me on table manners, which very rarely happens. Let me just tell you, there are like few <laughs> requests of people being like, make sure I do this interview. And so, you know, and for WandaVision, which is a Marvel property, it has to go through Disney. And I can just tell you that the Disney PR situation is uh, there's a there are a lot of people involved in that. And they're like, great. Okay. She's going to come on table manners, but they were originally going to do it via zoom. And Elizabeth Olsen was like, no, no, I want to go. I would like to be in person. So they set up all the COVID tests. The poor producer of table manners actually did have COVID. So they had to delay it a couple of weeks, but the producer is okay. Alice is fine. They do COVID tests again. I think they had a screen and they did it in, they did it all together with COVID protocol which is just to say that Elizabeth Olsen like really, really wanted to be on this podcast. And I get it. And then she spends half the time talking about how she's been filming in the UK and she loves living in the UK. And she's like investigated like the visa requirements in order to like permanently live in the UK. And it's the, it encapsulates like being an American listening to this, like, slightly clubby in a good way, British cozy experience and how much it just makes you want to be a part of it, or it makes me want to be a part of it. And also you texted that to me this morning. So (laughs) I can speak for you on that one. Um, Elizabeth Olsen, I have to say like, uh, Chris Ryan and I did the January TV streaming power rankings on TV concierge yesterday and spoiler alert, I put WandaVision and Disney plus at number one. Elizabeth Olsen is like a revelation for me. And Mm -hmm. I will say a full hour of Elizabeth Olsen on um, table manners was an emotional roller coaster. Ultimately, I love Elizabeth Olsen is one of my takeaways. And I'm also like disappointed in myself for not knowing that she is like a wonderful actress. I'm so impressed by her. Um, Amanda, did you know that already? You probably did. I did, though. I have to say I've I, I did see Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. I think those are the four names. Forgive me if they're not. Um, Jesse Ware also had some issues with she it on the podcast, it, so yeah. I feel okay. Um, you know, that was kind of her indie breakout role. I've seen her in the Avengers stuff. I always think she's very good in the Avengers stuff. I did not watch the Facebook watch. Me neither, but now I want to. Produced. Apparently it's good. Yeah, I just I it, it was one of those things where I just like as she says on the podcast, people couldn't really figure out to script it on Facebook and it just the context didn't make sense. But I think she's I've seen two episodes of WandaVision. I think she's excellent in it. She's I, great. She's, yeah. I've watched all four so far. I I don't I'm not a Marvel person. I'm not anti-Marvel. I'm just not in it. It's just too much for me. But I was like, I'm gonna watch WandaVision and I love it. And I'm just like, this is a great show. Yeah. And she does kind of, to me at least, pop off the screen in the larger ensemble um uh, Avengers films, which I have seen for my job. And th- there is something that is really 
personable about her that I think you can also tell in this podcast. She has fantastic manners. She is like, she is engaged with Lenny and Jesse and both knows what's going on with them. But also you can just tell she has like high emotional intelligence and kind of that movie star thing of, of like charisma and kind of engaging everyone around you. And I, that translates really well to screen. So I'm very pro her. Um, I was walking down the street listening. I was going to make a return at Nordstrom rack and she starts talking about her siblings and there's not a lot of old, new Mary Kate and Ashley info out there. That which we have is most, at least that I have is mostly from page six about Mary Kate Olson's divorce mm-hmm. from Olivier Sarkozy and how she had to move out of her apartment really quickly. So, and I, as a teen was like, this is super weird. I don't know if we've discussed this before, but as a teen in high school, every year for four years, I like led my group of friends in celebrating the birthday of Mary Kate and Ashley. They like made a cake. We would like just like celebrate. Okay. All right. All right. Time out. (laughs) Tremendous stuff. Okay. So where does the, where does the interest in Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen start for you? I think when they got that, um, at the time it was called Fox family and then it was ABC family. Now it's Freeform. When they got their show where it was the two of them, like as teens, like doing like their California show. I can't even remember what it's called, but they had a Fox family show. And then like, I remember like leaving school and going straight to the movie theater to see like the New York minute or Manhattan minute movie they were in. And I think like at my high school, for some reason, like the days of June were like very joyous and their birthday is June 13th. And we used to just like celebrate the end of school and their birthday together. And I don't know why. Okay. I don't but, even know how it started. Amanda. So, I just, I just don't. No, no, no. It's, it's not judgment. <laughs> I'm just trying to understand. So not full house for you. Were, no. Are you old enough for full house? Did They're exactly it? my age. Like that's okay. also part of it. Is that like, right. So you're like, it, they were babies for full house and I'm yes. like a year and a half. I'm like two years older. So yeah, I watched it. I was like, I guess that makes me, Stephanie's age in Full House. Great <laughs> but, dance moves. That's oh, what I, that. you know. Um, yeah. Okay, but so, and not the VHS, like, not P-I-Z-Z-A. No, I mean, you know, I watched um, Passport to Paris and sure. the, the Bahamas one. I can't remember any okay. of the names, but, like, okay. I think the Weezer song being in um, the Mary-Kate and Ashley movie, like, Island of the Sun, I believe is what it's called. Mm-hmm. really took them to like a different level. Like for some reason, the collision <laughs> of Weezer and Mary-Kate and Ashley really meant a lot in the year 2002 or whatever it was. was that is the most like early 2000s kids sentence that I've ever heard in my entire life. And I relate <laughs> to it, even though I don't think I've actually seen that movie, but I'm with you in spirit. So let me ask you this. Is it an ironic celebration of Mary-Kate and Ashley? Yes, it was 100% okay. ironic. However, one of my friends did buy me Mary Kate and Ashley Barbies like for their birthday. I don't know why I honestly, like I don't come, I'm going to have to check with my high school friend. So I have like two left that, that this, uh, about like how this all came together. But I also remember that like when I was in 10th grade, I had like a lunch crew and like we had seventh period lunch and that was like the worst lunch period to have. It was the latest in the day. It was like, what's the point? School's almost over. And for some reason that's really coalesced around our seventh period lunch crew. I don't know. And I just, it just happened. It's, <laughs> no, it's good to have bits. I think it's also important to note that you were celebrating their birthday separate from the absolutely revolting in retrospect countdown to Mary Kate and Ashley oh, Wilson turning 18. I, well, I don't 
what they Elizabeth Olsen like does bring it up on the on the podcast just in terms of talking about being followed by paparazzi when you're like seven, which I think she was because she's younger and and all of that. So you it was just this was kind of an early pop cultural bit from Juliette. 100 percent. Yeah. Amazing. 100 percent. And like uh, I had like a lot of pop culture bits in high school. Like I was just I, I used to like race home from school to read the live chat with um, watch with Wanda, which then became watch with Kristen, Kristen Dos Santos. Who's like one of the first like famous TV critics. And I remember like when I asked and she would do a spoiler live chat, like with like really primitive technology in like 2001, 2002. And I remember racing home to be a part of it. And then when she'd actually answer my questions about like Felicity or Dawson's Creek, I was so excited. (laughs) Like it was, it was honestly a highlight. And like, yeah, I mean, like television was a huge, huge, huge part of my teenage years. And while and we're like, doing it, can we talk about part the, of that? <laughs> can we talk about the um, fall TV guide that you used to do? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I, I used to like make a TV guide for my friends and family. And like, I like designed it very highly and like Excel and using colors. And it was like, I made my, yeah. And I like made my own recommendations based on nothing. It's like, I had like screeners as a teen, but um, yeah, like I just like loved television and celebrities. And like when I was in high school, my mom and I subscribed to star us weekly and people like all three and would like sit down and read them. So, you know, Mary Kate and Ashley were really famous in that time. They were. My bedroom door was completely covered in like cutouts from the magazines of like the Backstreet Boys, like Freddie Prince Jr., Sam Rochelle Geller, like just like all that stuff. The OC is like probably the pinnacle of my, of my like TV life. And I was in high school. I was just so fucking obsessed. Anyway, that's how I was obsessed with Mary Kate and Ashley. I wasn't even obsessed with them, but like, yeah, it was like a bit. I was just like, we're celebrating their birthday. And so we did it, I think, for three or four years. I don't think we did it in ninth grade. But um, okay. Anyway, hearing Elizabeth Olsen talk about her sisters was like genuinely thrilling to me because I was just like, this is amazing. This never happens. Like Mary Kate and Ashley are genius celebrities. They're like really under underappreciated in my mind. They don't have leaks. They live on their own terms now for the most part. And they're really, really rich, like very successful in the fashion world in ways I can never understand. Well, and I can because I would love to be able to afford the row. And let me tell you, I cannot. But anyway, also, do you remember when Elizabeth and James came out? And I was like, and then Elizabeth also became famous. I was like, yeah, we know about her. Elizabeth yeah. and James, duh. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I loved hearing the stories about like growing up with two famous sisters because she basically like talks about her siblings really tough look for her oldest brother, James. She's like, James, she's like, my brother had like the, the worst go of it in the birth order. And she like basically makes him sound like every really nice and underemployed guy in LA who she's just like, he's a writer. And they're like, Oh, what does he write? And she's like, well, he's working he's pursuing on a few things. It. He's, he's pursuing, pursuing it is what she said, which I thought was really generous, but he's a tutor. And she's like, and he's really busy right now because of COVID. She was like trying to trying her best to be really supportive of her brother. Um, I feel like James Olsen and Austin Swift need to find each other if they don't, if they haven't already. Right. As like, great. Yeah. As like famous brothers. Um, and then she starts talking about her sisters and how like, they just really didn't like being famous and how it got to a point where they're just like, we don't enjoy this. And I thought it was so interesting. Cause like she did talk about them as, as sort of like a unit. And that's how we all know Mary Kate and Ashley is as a unit. And I think as they've gotten older, obviously as happens with most siblings, they've like, developed individual personalities, but it was just really interesting to hear their little sister talk about them as one. Um, and I was just, that thought that was like brought a lot of truth. And then, and, and so just like hearing her describe what it was like 
actually wanting to be an actor um, versus her sisters not being into it was really fascinating because she was like, I needed to have it legitimized. And she talked about like needing to, to like connect with like kind of the Russian arts to, to feel good about being an actor and like had to, having to make it academic. And I thought that was just really fascinating and also like incredibly relatable. Right. Like I think a lot of young people seek validation in, in their choices. And it was just really interesting to hear her talk about it so openly. Um, and she just grew up incredibly uniquely. It was, it was just really wild. And then my favorite moment was at the end, everyone who goes on the show, has to like list out their kind of like their ideal last meal or like their desert Island meal. And Mm -hmm. she, um, she did several courses, which I really enjoyed. And one of them was caviar. And she talked about how her sister, she didn't say which, but her sister introduced her to caviar and smoked salmon. Um, and I was just like thinking about the Olson family with like, I assume this was Mary Kate because I don't know why, but in my, in my gut, I just felt this was Mary Kate who taught her sister Lizzie about, caviar and smoked salmon. And I feel pretty positive that Mary Kate learned about it from her boyfriend in 2004, David Katzenberg. Like, that's just like the story I've construed in my head and I need <laughs> someone to tell me I'm wrong. Otherwise I'm going with it. Cause that's, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I love it. I also really enjoyed that anecdote. I think, you know, Elizabeth Olsen is a kind of rare guest in that she does seem very in touch with like her thoughts and motivations and able to express them in a way that like, you know, that's just either result of good therapy. And also some people are just great communicators. And she does have that in addition to the food being such a lens into how people live. And another feature of the Elizabeth Olsen podcast that's so great is that she talks about where she's living in the UK um, while filming, I believe Richmond I meant to Google it because I don't really understand where that is. But Lenny and Jesse are like, oh, my God, it's so lovely there. And she talks about, you know, going to the finding the best croissant and going to the chocolate store. And here's the coffee place that I go to. And she even knows where the croissant comes from at the coffee place because it was a restaurant and the restaurant closed. And so the bakers started their own. Like she just like has it all down. And I do just have this vivid mental image of Elizabeth Olsen just like running around all the different stuff. Like I know what her day is like in, in such a fascinating way that you wouldn't otherwise know what someone's day is like, because people just, you know, get on an interview and talk about like their craft or whatever. I loved it. I thought it was fascinating. I thought she must've felt really safe because in, in this environment, which is a real Testament to Jesse and Lenny, because she revealed exactly where she was living. And I've just looked it up. Richmond is halfway between Heathrow and London, basically. So it's, Southeast of London, essentially along the Thames. Um, and she revealed like definitely more about WandaVision than she was supposed to. Even mm-hmm. I know that she like laid out exactly which sitcoms it was going to be parodying, which like I know like people had already known that WandaVision would be covering would like each episode would be like a different sitcom throughout history of television, yeah. but like she laid out exactly which ones. Yeah. I was positive. She was not supposed to do that. And I was surprised I didn't make them edit it out. Um, and then she really talked a lot about her boyfriend, Robbie, who mm-hmm. like very specifically about like, you know, what he does and doesn't like. And she, she talked about Richmond in like such specific terms. And I felt for someone who's like grown up in this system and is now voiced into the Disney system. She just must have felt like there was like a lot of, like just a lot of comfort and safety and being in the, the presence of Jesse and Lenny. And that again, that's like a huge Testament to the environment they create for their show. Cause that, is really, um, that like really stood out to me. 
It's true. She even talks about her contract. I like the biggest news to me in this was that she's not on a six film deal. I know and that she's she only commits every couple. Of, yeah, which is uh, good for her. But that's not how I understand those contracts uh, work generally. To your point about safety and just kind of the the energy that they've created, I completely agree. The Amelia Clark podcast is another one that I really recommend. And I think uh, Amelia Clark has like it's a very different. I mean, she's British and the British versus Americanness of Elizabeth Olsen and Amelia Clark. You could really tell it, but like the warmth and the, the, um, emotional kind of en- intelligence and energy around her. It's kind of a similar vibe. She, but she speaks at great length about losing her father. Her father died three years ago. And also about this series of brain hemorrhages and recovery that she went through and that she wrote about in the New Yorker. And, you know, she now has a foundation that she works on, um, and, and has been open about it, but the way that she speaks to them about that process is so vulnerable Mm. and also like so open. And it really is just like a friend sitting down and being like, okay, so here's what happened. And like, here's the next thing. And here's the next thing. And for someone who has been so in the public eye as Amelia Clark has, and it like has so much attention focused on her, I was really struck by it. And I was like, I have never really heard you talk like this and I don't know where else you would. Yeah. I think that's a a good point. I was thinking like, what are the other interview shows from women that feel so directly like without even trying, like directed at women essentially. Like, I I think that like, there's just most of the really big interview podcasts are with men. I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously we work for Bill Simmons. He's got a huge one, but like Dak Shepard, Mark Marin. I mean, Obviously, there's Terry Gross, and she is, you know, an industry unto herself, but it's a really different kind of show. Like, that is the kind of thing that is like the very the ultra serious, like IMDb game, essentially, of like going through mm-hmm. like work by work. This is so much more like the type of conversation you hope to have at a dinner party. And it's so, it's so cultured. Like, like to your point a few minutes ago about like feeling, there's like feeling this like London life coming alive. It's like so intense. I'm like, man, I miss London. I don't, I've only been to London a few times. I love it there and had a great time, but I like felt like a longing for like London. It's like civilization from listening to the show, from the way they talk about like the restaurants they love and the neighborhoods and like navigating around the sprawling city. It's like honestly emotional. Cause I, I just like, I miss city life like that, obviously during the pandemic, but they just like, um, have such an ease of like creating a really full warm world. And it's, um, it feels, it it just feels so female in a way that doesn't really happen that often in this space. Yes, I would agree. It's really accomplished. I think it's really hard to interview people as well as they do. Um, especially over zoom, gosh, but, and over uh, food and over, and over food, but to, to make someone comfortable to ask the, the questions that the listener at home is like, wait, but what? Um, but to do it in a personable way to, you know, to follow a train of thought and also to kind of do like the digressions and the Lenny asking about whatever, which she does. And it's always like extremely funny. There was like an extended aside in the Florence Pugh episode about, um, Lenny learning a lot about dildos. And I can't remember why now it was about dildos and Florence Pugh was like really entertained, but you know, I also learned a lot about Florence Pugh's life in Los Angeles. And anyway, so it, it's really hard to do what they do. And and to the point about the 
the femaleness of it. I agree and hadn't even really thought about that in that way, which is a good thing because what totally. it appeals to me is that it's like, logo's not pink. Does it? It's not branded. It's not this like fake corporate, you know, empowerment, like, hey, ladies, which, I, you know, there are people who are doing female empowerment and like branded really productive ways. And I'm really grateful for them. But also sometimes I'm just like, I'm a human being and I would just like something smart, like from people that happen to also be women, you know, and could we not yeah. belabor the point? Um, but it is all of it's funny. All of the interviews that I have picked out, with the exception of Mark Ronson, have that's not true. I asked. I also listened to uh, Michael Sheen's interview. Oh, how was that? I was I just very curious. Um, it was nice. He and he's on it because he and Jesse are both UNICEF ambassadors or UNICEF, and so they talked a lot about that work, but in like pretty specific detail. And much of it is about kind of the refugee um, situation in the UK right now, and it's not something that I know a lot about. And they speak about it as people who are like doing work and here is what we know and, 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 and informing others, which I think if you're going to be a celebrity using your platform for these issues, that's what you do is like know stuff and tell other people. So I was impressed with it. And then I wouldn't say he cooks. He was learning to cook. He's one of the people who's oh, like learning cute. to cook in quarantine. There has been a, um, a, like a few of those and he's working on it, but I just, I like him. He lives in Wales. Didn't know that. Really? So yeah, that's where he's from. He's got a wild dating history. That's for another podcast. Um, the other thing about this pod is it's incredibly Jewish and another way that doesn't like kind of just, it's not like, Hey, this is a Jewish podcast, but like I listened to Haim and then Mark Ronson. Cause I knew they'd like be two Jewish episodes, like the matzo ball soup. And they just talk about growing up Jewish. And I, I, I just like, it just it stuck out to me the moment in particular, because I have just been thinking about um, the Jewish people currently on reality TV here in the United States and it's like such a grotesque depiction of like the women on the real house of the salt lake. Like this, there's one of them who is, is Jewish one who was born Jewish and now identifies as Mormon, but it's just such like a, uh, like a over the top and grotesque depiction. And this is just like the emphasis on like family and family tradition with every guest, regardless of their religious denomination is, is so like heartwarming and, and genuinely moving to me. And like, and the way that Jesse and Lenny are so curious about other people's family traditions and like what foods mm-hmm. they grew up eating and like what, you know, what their relationship to food was as a kid and as like a family unit is like, so, um, just like kind of like genuine. And I think it, it, um, it's like, it's like just like meaningful to me. And you know, we were joking about how like Yotama Adelenghi comes up in every episode, <laughs> but I think that's connected to the Jewishness of it. And also like, Autologies. His cookbooks are amazing. His stores are incredible. Everything about him is amazing. So <laughs> it is like it is a recurring bit, especially like the celebrities when they're asked what they because they're also asked what restaurants you go to or like what you know when you could go. What did you go to? Like what are your cookbooks? Your references and all of the celebrities who just like eat a lot of vegetables are like, oh, I love Adelangi, and it is like me a too. Joke. And <laughs> let me say, like I'm cooking an Adelangi recipe tonight, so like no judgment. I recommend the couscous cake. Uh, check it out. Great love for leftovers. I'm all about but the burnt is, eggplant recipe in the Jerusalem yeah. cookbook. That's one of my faves. Just so much great stuff. But but like it is, it's a funny recurring theme. Um, and that's how deep we are into this podcast that we're yeah. just like noticing the Easter eggs. <laughs> I've never felt like this before. I don't really do fan culture. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm I know so everything about this. I just, I like them so much. I can't I recommend it enough. I know. It's a great, it's like a really, really great show. I, it's, yeah. 
it, 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 I, I kind of feel similarly. I'm just like, oh, this is like what people connect to. I'm just like, this is for us. This is great. Yeah, it's great. It's nice to find your thing, you know? I'm just out there in the wilderness consuming all everybody else's thing and being like, this is not for me. And then you found me the thing that is for me. Thank you. Um, it really, it really is great. I'm glad you enjoy it. Um, I just want to note, there's a Yota Madalengi like 80 minute movie on Hulu about him um, assembling a, a team of cooking and pastry Avengers to make dessert centerpiece for an event at the Metropolitan Museum of Art that I really recommend. It's like incredibly soothing. It's called like Yota Madalengi and the Cake of Versailles. Um, okay. That's on Hulu. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of reels always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. Let's move on. Let's talk about um, Megan and Harry being in the news again in the last five days. Basically, Harry settled a lawsuit with the Daily Mail. Um, they had to apologize for downplaying his relationship and contact with the Royal Marines in the wake of them stepping back from Royal Life. I'm happy for Harry. He has made it very clear that um, his military service is one of the most meaningful and important experiences of his life and that he really cares about the Marines. So I'm glad that he... Um, got that apology that he that I think he deserves. And then the other one is like a really bizarre, stupid item, which is that Archie's birth certificate for some reason has become public recently again. And Megan and Harry's names 
have changed to like have their official titles on the birth certificate. And I don't know how this made it back into the news. Like who was checking? Like this is a really bizarre one to me. I'm not clear on why on like on the timing and whether it was just made public or whether it's one of these things where the tabloids just know that Harry and Meghan sell. Yeah. And so on a slow day, it happened on a Saturday, whether someone is just like, oh, this is like a new story that we could run and spin into something. And so they do it. I mean, that does happen a lot and it's going to continue to happen. And I think like it's unfair. You know, we were talking before we recorded another story that has been sort of annoyingly bubbling is like, will Megan go back to the UK this summer or will she not? And all of the hateful tabloids are spinning it as like, you know, Megan refuses to go back. And we don't want to speculate on anything, but we would just point out that Megan did share that she suffered a miscarriage at the end of last year and is clearly trying to have a second child and is like, deserves to do that in privacy and make decisions about traveling in her life without people spinning it into some like palace intrigue, literally situation. Um, and you know, the, the tabloids are really invasive and, uh, and unfair and often racist and just make, um, not even like a mountain, but just make a mess out of any small thing. And I, it's unfair. And I completely understand their desire for privacy the birth certificate thing spiraled into a whole Streisand effect story insane. that it didn't need to. And and I think a lot of that is like I whoever their PR team is needs to be replaced because after the weird birth certificate stories and, you know, there were a few people who are like, quote, palace advisors being like, they must have done it for this reason and they must have done this for that reason. I mean, like people speculating who probably have no idea. I'm sure that's really maddening. I like it would infuriate me too. But then as a result, the Harry and Meghan's team released like an extended statement that just like, you don't need it. And then the palace releases another statement and it's like, you're, you should have a team who's telling you don't swing at this one and you just have to like ignore it. And that sucks. And it is really unfair. And these are bad people, but I just, instead of releasing these statements, like, release your, you know, just do your work and that will get more attention. Yeah. That's what I would say anyway. I agree. It's like they hate the press, but they also can't quit the press. Yeah. Um, the trip for the summer is for Prince Philip's 100th birthday mm-hmm. and the queen's trooping the queen's birthday, which is the trooping of the color. She's turning yes. 95, I think, or is she turning 98? I can't remember their age difference. I think 95. I think that's correct. Yeah. They're five years apart. Um, get up there. These they got lo- vaccinated. These moments, hold on to them. They won't last forever. Yeah. But also do what you need to do for your family and butt out. And oh, yeah. Cons- I meant like us, the general yeah. public. Yes, I didn't mean that's Harry true. and Meghan. Yeah. <laughs> also, I was going to say like traveling when you presumably don't know when you'll be getting the vaccine, have a young child. It's not a no brainer. It's like so just because many celebrities act like it's a no brainer to travel doesn't mean that it is. I like, it's, I agree. I'm just like, what are we doing? I, I just would love for them to have some new PR advisors. That would be my, that's my, that's my 2021 wish for them. And for me, last item of the day, Matt Damon moving. He's listed his home in the Pacific Palisades in Los Angeles and move into New York. Um, two things about this. First of all, its home is listed for $21 million. 
it is like right um next to this really famous fancy country club this is all publicly available information now i know this from the new york post Wait, and- yeah but also this was listed like it, it was the Wall Street Journal thing again of like, hey, a really famous person's house is for sale. And the Wall Street Journal just does like a, a story about how you can now buy Matt Damon's home. Anyway, also that country club is like very famous. And my husband like talks about it all the time. And I never want to hear about it again. Continue. Um, I've been there for like a brunch a couple times. It's lovely. It's a country club. I don't play golf, so it does nothing for me. Right. Um, yeah, 21 million. Honestly, that's like a really a lot. I was just like, wow, Matt Damon, richer than I think I realized. Um, in the podcast we discussed recently, Ben Affleck on um, the Awards Shatter podcast actively referred to Matt Damon just being two blocks away because they both live in Palisades. My first thought was I was sad for Ben that his friend is moving. That's rough. Yeah. I yeah. Just felt, just felt bad about it. I do too. But, you know, we do know that Matt Damon purchased like a very large apartment in the same apartment building as Emily Blunt and John Krasinski in New York. And thanks yeah. to page six, we know that they he shut down, down the street, street yeah. in order to move all the furniture in via crane, which is like the most un-Matt Damon fact that I know. But I guess that's what you got to do for the penthouse apartment. That's like um, a real, I'm not involved, just take care of it to like your <laughs> designer, your assistant, like whomever. It's just sort of like, don't want to know how this happens. Just please do it. Yeah. And I like I, that. I guess that is done. Like moving with cranes does happen in New York for like high right. Anyway, it's it's not a problem that I will ever have. Um, but yeah, I I feel for Matt. I mean, I feel for Ben and I hope he, you know, has a place to a room in the penthouse in New York when he wants. <laughs> um, I think that Matt Damon's house in the Pacific Palisades has one of the lovelier pool houses that I've seen. Um either in person or in pictures in Los Angeles. It's like very nice. It's very, very Hawaiian to me, I guess in the wall street journal, this was positioned as a Zen inspired Los Angeles home, which I believe is also how, um, right before they got divorced, how architectural digest positioned Jennifer Anderson, and Justin Theroux's house. If I mm-hmm. recall correctly mm-hmm. in general, this is not my style and I don't love it. However, I do think there's some really nice touches in this house. It is not the style that I would choose if I had $21 million, which let's just be clear. I don't. I feel like I just referred to the fact that I don't have millions of dollars many times on this podcast, but I really don't. Um, But it does have a nice indoor-outdoor flow. Yeah, it does. It's nice. I I wish them the best. Um, The New York Post made it clear that they are moving to New York because they love New York despite COVID. And I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know why. Just such a sign of the times. I'm definitely reaching the point personally where I'm just sort of like, I'm ready to move past COVID so we can like know how things are going to be remembered. Like, I, like obviously that's a very <laughs> privileged way of thinking about it. I am, you know, but I'm just sort of like, let's get, let's get on with it. Like, let's like get on to the phase of like memorializing and narrativizing this and like no longer living it. I'm just like bored. That's so interesting though, because so I have been doing Sundance Film Festival remotely and there are like several COVID related projects. It won't surprise you. Some of them are like documentaries. Some of them are like feature films that incorporate COVID. But I do feel like I've watched a few COVID documentaries at this point and they are attempting to like narrativize it in real time. And I think that has like real value and kind of like historical record or whatever. But I am a little bit like, Okay, I I lived through it, yeah. but I'm not over it yet. So do I need this narrative right now? And also, is this the narrative that I'm going to agree with in six months? Um, it's interesting. But 
I think maybe your point is that you can only narrativize it when it's like actually over and you would like yeah. it to be over. Yeah. So and I'm with I, you. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. I'm like, I'm not like looking forward to reading novels about COVID or like, mm-hmm. I was even thinking like, do I want like a COVID rom-com of like one night under COVID or something like that? I, I've just been, you know, I'm sure that's coming. Um, but I'm just sort of like, <laughs> I'm ready to stop living this. We all are. Yeah, I I am too. I just think I, it's like an interesting. It's a great. This has been a great Juliet podcast. But like the the way that you interpret that feeling is like I would like to be able to narrativize it because that means it's over. Yeah, totally. There you go. <laughs> That's a great note to end on, Amanda. Thank you for your endless support, particularly on this episode, but just in life. Thank um, you for Jesse Ware. Thank you for Jesse and Lenny, my best friends. I have three friends now. You, Jesse, and Lenny. It's great. Great Jesse time and to Lenny, be me. We love you. Uh, we'll be back next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.